This episode contains mention of sexual assault, exploitation, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. On September 7th, 2012, Amanda Todd posted a nine-minute video to YouTube titled My Story, Struggling, Bullying, Suicide, Self-Harm. Standing against a blank wall and telling the story through flashcards, Amanda explains that around 2009, when she was only about 12, an anonymous man online continuously pressured her to show him her breasts over webcam. Eventually, as most children will if you press them, she did. Of course, the man took screen grabs and used them to blackmail her into showing him more. In 2010, the police told her the photo was circulating on the internet. Anxiety, panic attacks, and depression were quick to overwhelm the girl, and she eventually turned to drugs and alcohol to cope with it all. The images, however, were still circulating, and the man would open Facebook accounts using her photos as the thumbnail, and he would friend all the people from Amanda's school and continue to shame her, ruining her life. Even though Amanda would move from town to town and school to school, the man would still follow her. Cyberbullying, bullying, sexual extortion, and being shunned out of her peer group was Amanda's experience because of a single mistake she made when she was 12. On October 10, 2012, Amanda Todd committed suicide. She was only in 10th grade, and like me, she was born in 1996. So I vividly remember how I felt when I learned about this situation, that she had taken her own life because a man online had sexually extorted her. At the time, that was kind of unheard of. We were both part of, really, the first generation to grow up with access to the internet and smartphones. We were not, however, in any way prepared for the sexual predators that thrive online. And I'm not sure we are now. Honestly, I think we've regressed in some ways. Anyone can be the victim of sexual extortion. However, younger teens are often the targets. Historically, the targets were mainly young girls, but there's been a shift. Young teen boys are quickly becoming the primary targets. However, there are people who are not only working to change how we approach this online, but are also helping the victims of sexual extortion get their voice back without being shamed. I'm Jacqueline Swan, and this is Technality a podcast that explores how technology is shaping our future. And today, I'm looking at the potential fallout of sending nudes. Derek Lintz shares a tragic similarity with Carol Todd. His 17-year-old son, Daniel, took his life in February. The rural Manitoba teen was blackmailed after sending a compromising photo to someone he thought was a young woman on Snapchat. This family is mourning the death of their teenage son who killed himself after he got caught up in a sextortion plot, all after sharing a photo. The FBI is warning of an increase in crime that targets teens online. It's called sextortion. One San Jose mother shares her story of loss with ABC 7's Karina Nova as a warning to other parents and teens. It's a hard thing for them to be navigating in this space and, and the constant connection to individuals online 24-7. Uh, you were really not able to get away from that. Meet Stephen Sauer. I'm the director of cybertip.ca here at the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. When I was growing up, 
not many people knew what the internet was capable of. It wasn't new, it just was entering into its new era. The Web 2 era, if you will. So no one prepared me for the things I was going to see online. And this was before it became so intrinsically part of our life. And for the most part, as I said, I don't think this has changed in how we prepare teens for how to approach online. It feels like we've had 20 years to create tools, regulations, and basic foundational principles to prep teens for the potential consequences of being able to connect with literally anyone, anywhere, at any time. The good news is there are organizations out there who are here to help those who find themselves in compromising situations. The Canadian Centre for Child Protection is essentially a charitable organization here in Canada that is dedicated to the protection of all children. So we operate a number of programs and initiatives that really advocate for the personal safety of children and ensuring that, uh, you know, we're providing them with the resources that they need to help keep safe both online and offline. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're naive to what happens online. Maybe you've managed to keep on the safe side of the internet. But there's always cybercrime happening. And one of the most nefarious is sextortion a crime that preys on isolation and shame. There is a rise in the number of extortion cases or sextortion cases that are occurring. So these are cases where an individual has contacted a child or a youth and connected with them to really facilitate the commission of the sharing of sexual imagery. So the idea would be that they would be contacting the youth asking for a sexual image or a sexual picture, and then utilizing that sexual picture once they receive it to threaten the youth in order to get money or further imagery. So the idea is that these individuals realize that they can use the threat of sharing that image with friends or family or the youth school, and they, they make threats to share the sexual picture with individuals in the, that teen's circle of contacts. I think that pretty much kind of sums up the, the you know, sextortion. Did you want me to talk a little bit about the tactics that we're seeing? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how do people find themselves in these situations? But I kind of just quickly want to follow up on, you said that you've seen a rise in the cases. Why do you think that is? There's a couple things happening here. One, I think people are becoming more aware of, um, you know, the resources that we provide especially some of the, the advertising that we're doing. Probably the bigger cause here is that individuals who engage in this, especially for the demographic that we're seeing, which is young males, about 92% of the cases coming in in July uh, related to boys or young men um, who'd been extorted. One of the reasons we're, we're seeing a rise in this type of activity is that the offenders who are engaged in this really understand that this is very profitable and very easy to facilitate because of the technology piece. So it's pretty easy to create an account on social media and then uh, reach out to them, begin a conversation, get them to share a sexual image and get them to comply with paying money as a result of the threats to distribute that image. It's pretty easy from their perspective to see the vulnerabilities of the youth and the young adults that they're connecting with and the shame that's associated with the sharing and distribution of a sexual image and utilize that as a, as a pressure point for obtaining financial gain from those individuals. 
you might be listening to this and wondering how someone could fall for these tactics. First, anyone can be manipulated. You often don't realize it was the case, though, until after it's happened. Second, the people perpetrating these scams are preying on the shame someone feels. And when they're targeting young teens who are going through puberty, the choices they make aren't always backed by the most logical decisions. So most often what we see and what we had commonly seen for years is that individuals with a sexual interest in children and, and youth, they are often connecting with um, young women and, and youth um, to essentially get them to create more imagery. So the idea with the extortion in that case is that they would obtain a, a sexual picture or a picture that might be uncomfortable for the youth to have shared outside of that communication. And they'll utilize that as a lever to get the youth to create more imagery or, or more videos. It's threats. If, if you don't provide me with uh, further imagery or take more pictures for me, I'm going to share this with your family and friends. In the case of what we're seeing now and the rise of, of young males being extorted or sextorted, is really related to the, the financial piece. And, and it happens a lot more rapidly um, for young males than it does for young females. And part of the reason for that is that I think, you know, young males are pretty quick to um, share a sexual image. You know, they're often exploring their sexuality and engaged in this. There's also a lot of coercion and manipulation that goes into this. They are quite aggressive in their tactics. Um, you know, if one tactic isn't working, they'll try another tactic to get that material. And then uh, again, they'll, they'll start to use the material to threaten the youth. And often what happens in both cases is that the youth believes a similar aged peer. So someone who, you know, maybe of the opposite sex, often like a young female, um, similar aged peer, there's someone else behind that account or behind that video. Obviously, the answer is just not send nudes especially to people you only met online. But think back to when you were a teenager and how you thought. The things you did to impress someone, specifically a crush that was showing you attention. When you're young, exploring your sexuality, and have access to the entire digital world at your fingertips, you're probably not going to make the smartest choices all the time, even if you know it might put you in a compromising situation. So it's happening, it's going to happen, but just because it's going to happen doesn't mean we should let teens be sexually extorted. Or anyone. After the break, we'll take a closer look at how this is affecting young teens, how the current atmosphere has lent its hand to helping sexual extortion, and what, if anything, is being done to address the issue. Just imagine going through puberty right now, essentially having access to literally anyone in the world in seconds. And you have the ability to send a photo instantaneously with no way to take it back. I might only be a decade out from being a teen, but I still remember what it was like to be that age. The trials of puberty, the pressures from your peers, the desire to impress someone you like and maybe get laid. The perpetrators of these crimes know how teenagers work. They know how they think and they know how to manipulate that. So they essentially just prey on the shame and isolation that they're causing this person to feel. And I think too, there's, there's often a sense of the victim blaming themselves. 
you know, I initiated this, I sent the image to this person. It's my fault that this happened. No one's going to believe me that I didn't, you know, I didn't want this and, and that, you know, I didn't initiate this. That can also silence them as well as that beyond the shame of it being distributed, even that initial feeling like you're blamed for it. Like, uh, you know, I've always been told I shouldn't have sent a nude. Well, yeah, but that's not the point here. The, these individuals are aggressive, extremely aggressive. And we want youth to know that they shouldn't feel blame for engaging in this. You know, this is almost become a normalized behavior in society, this, this exploring sexuality by sharing images in, in relationships. And I think that's another thing that, that we would also talk about is that youth need to know that there is much more risk to this, to sharing any type of imagery. They lose all control of that imagery. And it's this normalization that this is, this is somehow part of, of exploring sexuality in the 21st century is, is very difficult for us to navigate right because this is really really risky behavior you know and the fact that it's been normalized really puts the onus on the person who's shared the image i guess that is a really good point about it being kind of tied to exploring one's sexuality nowadays um just because you have everyone has a phone with a camera in it and it's so easy to share and a connection to the internet Sending and receiving nudes is commonplace nowadays. I'm sure most of our listeners have sent at least one in their life. You don't talk about it, and there really is a bit of shame that comes around it if it's brought up. This shame helped creates the atmosphere needed by sextortion perpetrators to get money or more videos from their victims. Nobody wants to speak up if someone is saying they will release their nudes. Someone needs to feel shame about their nudes being leaked for this crime to work. Even though they've done nothing wrong, the current discourse is that they have. Teens can be mean, but adults can be even worse. Um, I'm going to segue a bit here into, I guess, more of the like social zeitgeist, how we actually approach this sort of conversation. You previously mentioned that more people have started to come forward and you attribute that to your PSAs and other advertising campaigns you have to, I guess, reach the people who need this advice. Do you think that kind of the fact that we're not willing to have these conversations or even teach anything about this in school really puts this kind of, I don't know, like an extra layer of shame onto teens who might be feeling this? Or do you feel like this generation is prepared for the challenges online that they face? Because I know I wasn't when I was that age. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think any youth is really prepared for the challenges they face online. And neither are the families that support them. I think that's part of the problem with how this this issue has been framed up a little bit. And, and you know, and and certainly what we've done is we've really left youth and children on their own in a digital space. There are really no regulations supporting them that you know, ensuring that the technologies that they are intersecting with are set up appropriately to safeguard their users from this type of activity. 
we really want to highlight here at the Canadian Center for Child Protection is that, you know, we see all these other type of products in the offline world. You, you consider toys and other products that are marketed to children. They require that they don't pose a risk to those kids before they're sold. But in the digital space, where we've landed is that all these different tools and apps are marketed towards kids. They're marketed towards youth and young adults without providing any type of safety by design or any type of duty of care by the companies that are operating them. Certainly what we would, we would like to see moving forward is companies taking more initiative in managing what's happening on their platforms and also governments actually starting to take control of this and regulating in this space and ensuring that there are some proper safeguards in place for youth and children who are um, utilizing platforms like Instagram and Snapchat, which are two of the most prominent platforms that are being used in this type of sextortion incident at the moment. We feel like they should be doing much more. They have all of this data and knowledge that they are not applying to the protection of their users, and they could be doing so much more in this space. Amanda Todd was not the only young person to take their life because someone was sexually extorting them. And in cases where their lives aren't taken, people will just go along with what they're told because they're afraid. They'll empty their bank accounts. They'll commit acts or crimes for the anonymous person online that they otherwise wouldn't do. Really, whatever they have to do to keep that image from circulating. Black Mirror Shut Up and Dance kind of covers this idea of being sexually extorted into doing things that you otherwise wouldn't do. I often feel like when it comes to things with kids that it takes a bit to um, get them past. Like there was a whole gambling thing with online video games that didn't get passed until like five years after it should have been in the making. So I'm just kind of wondering where the regulation space sits with all of this right now. It's a little bit of a glacial pace, right? When you exactly how you hit the nail on the head is that it often takes time for this stuff to come forward. What we see now is that there's really an urgency here from our organization. We really want, uh, you know, governments to start acting on this quite quickly. And we are starting to see some legislation coming forward. We know that there is movement here in Canada to create, uh, you know, a bill related to the online harms. Um, and there is consultations that are occurring at the moment. But what ultimately we would need is, is something specific to youth and children, something developed more precisely for that particular space at a quicker um, pace. We're hoping that the federal government is able to move on this fairly quickly. But like I said, it, you know, they're just in the consultation process at the moment. There are other legislative frameworks moving uh, on a global scale. You know, we know that the UK is involved in creating an online safety bill. The EU is also creating legislation right now. These are big markets, actually, that will affect some change, hopefully, in the broader digital context. And, and the more governments that are involved in moving legislation forward to really protect children online, the better it is because it will force the industry to adjust and evolve appropriately and to start meeting those regulations. If you have been a victim of sexual extortion, you're not alone. It's not your fault that someone is violating your privacy. There are people and organizations out there who are helping victims of these crimes at all ages. 
So if anyone is looking for um, some information and resources on the issue of sextortion and, uh, and what we're seeing through the, the tip line, they can go to cybertip.ca. We also have resources for specifically for youth to talk about online sexual violence. If you go to cybertip.ca slash OSV, there are um, sheets on the discussion of online sexual violence and what that looks like and giving them some information and resources on that. And then we also have our needhelpnow.ca website, which if you've had an image that has been distributed, posted uh, online, and you're looking to get that removed, it will provide you with some resources on how to get that removed from the most prominent platforms, as well as uh, you can contact us directly and we'll assist you in in, uh, requesting removal of that material. Before I ended our conversation, I asked Stephen what he'd like to see in the next five to 10 years around how we address extortion. I would love to see, you know, all of the, um, the major Western countries having some sort of legislative framework in place that helps change the dynamic that is currently going on with the internet industry. You know, right now we're facing a bit of an uphill battle in terms of getting things in place and, well, you know, fighting the the online privacy and the online um, freedom um, side of things. Um, but what we're really looking for is for something there that will protect youth and children, the most vulnerable of our societies in these online spaces. What I'm hoping for is that that companies will ultimately put more resources into this type of uh, detection. If we talk about things like Instagram and Snapchat, maybe they have protections in place where their youth users do not have uh, direct access or or direct messaging. Or maybe there is a stipulation that that on Instagram, that adults can't intersect with um, youth and children, especially adults who are not known to the child. Um, maybe there's a requirement that by default, all of the data associated to youth accounts and, and children on those platforms is hidden by default, um, because that's an unfortunate issue as well, is that this data is, as soon as it's posted online, it's really up to the user themselves to protect the privacy of of what uh, information is shared on those platforms. There's certainly a lot more that needs to be done in that space. And then the, the finally, I would say that what we would like to see is that any company operating in the digital space in the next five years, that they're actually doing proactive detection of child sexual abuse material on their networks and of, um, you know, any type of exploitative uh, material as well or harmful material to children on their services. After Amanda Todd's death, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police launched an investigation into what happened. This was after they had been repeatedly informed that she had been sexually extorted by an adult man online. At the time, they said nothing could be done. Following an investigation by Facebook's security unit, the man behind the axe was arrested. He was a Dutch-Turkish man who had allegedly done this to multiple people. On top of the child pornography and chilling chat logs of him extorting people, police found thousands of bookmarked names of people who could be the next potential victim. After his trial in the Netherlands, where he was found guilty for fraud and internet blackmail, The man was extradited to Canada, where he would stand trial on June 6th, 
2022. On August 5th, 2022, he was found guilty on all charges. While Amanda's abuser and the abuser of at least 39 other people will be punished for his actions, this isn't always how the story ends, unfortunately. Oftentimes, it can result in the victim handing over their life savings or taking their life. He was an all-American teenager, the homecoming king, beloved by his classmates. Now, a small town in Michigan is mourning Jordan DeMay's death. He killed himself, the victim of a vicious online sextortion plot. This is one of those cases that I will remember the rest of my life. As we move forward and the internet continues to be an intrinsic part of not only our adult lives, but our teenage years, governments and websites will need to put in better regulations to counteract these criminals. Additionally, the overall environment about how we interact online will also need to change. Obviously, it's not enough to say, don't send nudes. We need to be able to have frank discussions around all of this and make sure teens know that if they mess up, there is help for them. But as we know, when it comes to these things, change, unfortunately, comes too late. Thank you for listening to Technality, a Narcity Media podcast. It's hosted and produced by me, Jacqueline Swan. To keep up with where your future is going, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you're interested in more technology content, head over to Technality Socials.